everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Jen here. Before we get started, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about this fabulous idea for a holiday gift for the people in your life who love fashion and also love knowing that their gift is giving back to help others. So Better Life Bags, it's a missional business in the heart of Detroit, employing women with barriers to traditional employment, primarily immigrants and refugees in their community. So they're making a difference on so many levels for these women who are learning a skill and creating new relationships, and then also in the community at large. And the bonus to us is that we can customize beautiful, high-quality leather and fabric bags that they create plus design them ourselves on the interactive Better Life Bags website. So guys, the last day to order a design your own bag and receive it by Christmas is December 3rd. And if you order in November, they're offering free shipping for the entire month. And if that wasn't enough, just for the listeners of the For the Love podcast, you'll get 10% off when you check out by using the code FORTHELOVE. So go to betterlifebags.com to start designing your bag today. I have two and get 10% off using the code for the love. Okay, let's get to today's show. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome back to our uh, lovely little podcast community. I'm so happy to have you here now. Uh, I don't know if you have swooned like I have over the series we've been in for the love of TV. I mean, come on, come on. TV is literally one of my favorite things. Um, shows, movies, this is what I love. Um, and so talking to all these lovely and wonderful people who make it and consume it and create it and act is giving me so much life. I'm so here for it. So, um, don't be surprised if this series makes a comeback. I am just saying that that is a very high possibility. Okay. Look, I am such a big fan of our guests today. And if you don't already know them, I can absolutely 100% guarantee that you will want to subscribe to their podcast as the very second you finish this episode, um, because they are so funny and so entertaining and so good. So my guests today are Knox McCoy, and Jamie Golden, and you may know them as the co-hosts of the Popcast, which in their words is the show that educates you on the things that entertain, but do not matter. (laughs) Oh, they made me laugh so hard during this interview too, you guys. I can't wait for you to listen to it, but... So every single week, Knox and Jamie just delight their audience when they talk about all things pop culture, uh, silly celebrities, ridiculous trends, um, conversation-worthy TV shows, movies, books, everything. It's just so much fun. Um, And so here's why we need Knox and Jamie in our lives. There's, uh, number one, more pop culture to consume than ever, you guys, and we need to get on it. Um, So we need these brave pioneers who will sort through the clutter so we don't have to and give us all these golden nuggets that we can just pop right into our TVs and our phones. Um, And so I say that Knox and Jamie are providing a very great public service for us. Um, And they give us their current favorites, um, their favorites of all time during this episode, and probably most importantly, what we need to be watching uh, during holiday season with our families. They give us a lot of ideas in this episode. So um, don't you worry one bit if we mention too much, we'll have it all linked in the transcript page over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. It will all be waiting for you there. So you can click and consume to your heart's um, content. These two are so much fun. You guys, they met on the internet. They'll tell us about that. They each live in Birmingham. Um, Knox just wrote a hilarious book, which we will write about. Um, and we will get their perspective on all things, ridiculous, hilarious, and entertaining. So you guys, without any further ado, let's welcome Knox and Jamie to the show. Okay. I am very, very happy to have you on my show, Knox and Jamie. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having us. 
So um, I'm really, really happy to have you on the For the Love Show. But before we get started, I want to just mention probably what everybody's thinking. Just I want to definitely address the elephant in the room. Earlier this year, your show, The Popcast, held a Miss United States of America pageant. United, mm-hmm. J-E-N-N, United. Mm-hmm. And I was very honored to be one of your um, nominees. Felt like that was amazing yeah. moment in my career. You're welcome. Um, I do feel sad that it wasn't crowned. I'm not going to lie to you. I realized it was a tough competition. I realized that I lost to Jennifer Lopez, a worthy contestant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to, I'm attempting to say that we're all winners. Um, but I, I would just like to know what went sideways and how can I improve my chances for perhaps next year's contest? Well, it's, first of all, it's a tough panel of judges. They're just so critical of every little thing. Plus it, JLo is 49 with the abs of a 19 year old Olympic gymnast. And her net worth is $380 million. So it's really difficult. Now, you you were awarded Miss Congeniality. So I think that is, like, some sort of treat. That's that's something. You know, like, in the NBA, they say, like, you have to advance. You have to get to the NBA Finals and lose before you can win. That's what I'm thinking for you. You have to get there before you can win. You know, you know what I'm saying? What do you suggest I work on this calendar year for next year's uh, showing? Well, I mean, personally, like, if you're listening um, earmuffs really quick – Bribery works great, like for me personally. Oh, like I made eye contact with Common at an uh, Atlanta airport one time, and um, like I defend his music, like like I'm his bodyguard right now. So like we're very open to bribery and stuff like that. Yes, of Mesa, of Mesa, Moxie, and money, money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm picking mm-hmm. up, what you're laying down, Good. and I'm not of it. I just want you to know that I'm not. Good. So um, I'm really competitive. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I just I need you to understand that I took that loss hard. Okay. Um, I know. And we're, we're a five and a seven. So we haven't thought about it again. So. <laughs> okay. Look, I've told our listeners about your show. Of course, a ton of them listen to it already at the podcast. Um, but here's the first thing we're going to get out of the way before we get into it. Um, you can tell a lot about a person by the shows they watch. That's like one of my key criteria for friendships, for mentors, for pastors, whatever the thing is in my life. Um, so I want to hear from each of you and you only get to pick one, no matter what, what is your favorite TV show of all time and why I would like your defense of it. Um, if you just, you have to select one cause that's the rules. Well, I do think you're right. I do think you can know a lot about a person cause my, my mom loves, a sexual crime that's solved in 60 minutes. Wow. Okay. And yeah. so that tells you a lot about her. Like, I don't know what it says, but it says something. And she's a Southern Baptist Church secretary. Yeah, she. it's complicated. But, okay. So my favorite show of all time is Lost. I And it was because of J.J. Abrams. He had convinced me that I needed to move to New York for college through Felicity. He taught me that I could be a CIA, CIA spy through Alias. And so when he helped create lost. I was like, I'm all in. And it was really my favorite, not only because it was when I would visit television without pity and seek out spoilers, and but I also hosted parties and I would send out Oceanic Air airline tickets as invitations. And I had a smoke monster that went through my house during those parties. Wow. Like, it was such a, and it was my nerd people, you know, so we all like dressed up and it was just a magical watching experience. So did you watch that in real time, like in live time as in every week when it would yes, come on? Television? Every week. And it was like, guys, do not call me. Even though I have DVR, I'm like online with people in a forum talking about every scene. It was that, it was that cool as you can It sounds cool when I say it. So yeah, it was cool. It sure does. Listen, Lost had that effect on a lot of people. My husband and my sons, we missed Lost. I don't know why. I can't remember what year it aired. Do you know? Can you remember? It was 2004. Was that right? When it, it, it started? Yeah, it's in that ballpark. Isn't that ballpark? Yes. Okay. Well, that now makes sense because my my kids were uh, kindergartners, so that's why they didn't watch it. But um, they watched the whole thing later um, on a binge in two weeks. And you know how long it was. Oh, my, oh my goodness. goodness. If you can think of watching that whole show in a two-week time span, I mean, they were unshowered, like, terrifying creatures just sitting on the couch all day long. And it was – I lost them there for a minute. It's like six seasons of 22 episodes. That's a <laughs> lot of television. It really was. It really was. I'm not. I'm not proud of them. I'm just trying to relay the facts. Okay. How about you, Knox? I. You know, my probably. I don't know if this counts. Um. So you can dismiss this if you want. But I would pick 
um, Saturday Night Live. Okay. Ooh, and here's why. Like, I think, you know, it's lasted over 40 years. Yeah. The cast are always evolving and rotating. And when you think about the prominent place it takes up in like cultural dialogue and how it's been a finishing school for comedy stars, I feel like you can't deny like the greatness of SNL. I'm 100% in your camp right now. Okay. I have watched SNL my whole life. What If you had to pick your um, favorite sort of season cast, like just sort of an era of SNL, what would you pick? You know, probably the formative years for me was the uh, Chris Farley, David Spade, Adam Sandler, Phil Hartman, like that, that, that whole crew, that whole squad. Um, that, that was right there in my teenage years. And that made like the biggest, like there were so many terrible impressions of Chris Farley that, that authored, unfortunately, but it did like resonate with me in a big way. Oh, me too. Uh, A lot of my comedy heroes have come out of that show. I think that's a good answer. All right, let's roll it back a little bit. Um, When you guys were little Knox and little Jamie, um, and just take turns on this. So where did you grow up? What were you into? Did you, were you little pop culture nerds? And did you find other little pop culture nerds? Um, Because until we can kind of find our people who are willing, for example, to talk absolutely endlessly about, let's just say, uh, Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pick one of my current faves. Okay, and you know we don't really know who where we belong. So tell us a little bit about what you guys were like and which your what was your sort of when did you steer the ship into this uh, delightful world of entertainment? Okay, I like that, and I like the idea that you're talking about of like having to do the two step around someone to be like, is this person on the level where I can talk about Shit's Creek or do I just need to keep it like really general with them? That's yeah. really at home with, you know, who we've become. But yeah. for me, like I grew up uh, basically until June and June of this year, I, I lived uh, most of my life uh, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, I was big into sports. Like my plan in life, like on my vision board was like professional baseball player. Like that's, sure. that's going to be it. Um, but it turns out like, I don't know if you guys like are big baseball heads, but um, if you can't hit a curveball or a slider or a changeup, like that's, that's tough. You know, you that's can't really, hard. yeah, that's like half the battle. So, you know, didn't work out for me, but that's cool, whatever. Um, but, you know, I always love books. I taught myself to read by stealing my sister's uh, babysitter's club books and my parents, like they love TV and movies. So I came by that uh, really honestly, I remember watching like wings and mad about you with them and like just keeping it very chill. Like no one make a big deal about it. But, you know, honestly, I think I never really had a crew. Um, If I had to answer, honestly, it would probably be my parents and my sister. And like, (laughs) let me just ask you, let me turn the question to you, Jen. Like was, is that the most saddest introverted thing you've ever heard in your life? No, not at all. My um, family's absolutely my entertainment crew. Okay, good. Thank you. I don't know what your family is like, Knox, but so I'm the oldest of four kids. And all of us fancy ourselves hilarious. Every one of us. We think we're the funniest, most entertaining, delightful family you've ever known. And TV and movies were our shared love language. And so to this living day, I could start a group text right this minute on my phone with my sisters and my brother and my parents. And we could just do straight quotes. TV quotes and TV quotes. We could do it for 100 years and never run out. I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. How about you, Jamie? Well, so for me, I grew up in a farming community outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And my parents were... um, like pretty pure as the driven snow. And like, so they did not support my Lisa Frank, Sweet Valley High obsessions that mm-hmm. I had, or the fact that all I did all day was make friendship bracelets. Cause I was headed to, you know, a party where we're going to do, we're going to have a cabbage patch party or we're going to have a garbage pail kids party. Like I was absolutely had found friends who were obsessed with pop culture in the way that I was like, my friend Stacy was like, come over, I have MTV. And it was like, oh, such a, I mean, it was such a magical time to be able to just watch music videos for hours on end and fall asleep in front of the TV. So um, for me, that was, I had, like, I was, I had social interactions. I'm like, I'm like Knox. And so, well, let me just chime in here, Jamie. Like my favorite story about Jamie is as a kid, she was so thirsty for friends. Like she would take a, like a broomstick and play lightsabers out in the woods, like by her house, Listen, just because I like she that liked I was it. Princess Leia. It just said, <laughs> I just had to believe it. And then I would achieve it. There you and go. so that's, that's right. what I was doing in the woods when I was little. I just think that's a sign of a really bright imagination. Mm-hmm. That's how all geniuses got their start. Right. Um, I don't, there's no shame in that game at all. And um, uh, yeah, I can deeply appreciate that. Also, I don't know how this was for you, but MTV was like forbidden in my home because yes. the devil, you know, mm-hmm. yes. the devil in the, in the 
music and also the video, the devil in the videos. And so when I got to go to a friend's house, whose parents, I guess, didn't like care about them. I don't, that's how mm-hmm. my parents uh, sold it to me. Yeah. Um, didn't care about their spiritual formation. And we could just watch MTV for like 14 straight hours. That was really my best life. No, it was to be able to watch, to be able to watch Madonna like a prayer. I had brunette Madonna, which meant we were now closely connected. Did she do some questionable things in places of worship? Yes. But Mm. I was just so obsessed with that song and that video. But I did like, did you guys feel like VH1 was like the chill version of MTV? Like like Christian parents could get behind VH1 because it wasn't so MTV. Like you could casually watch that. that. I don't know. I don't remember either, but I will do want you to know something about Brandon Hatmaker, the person that I'm married to, which is that to this living day, he would watch behind the music on the drop of a hat any day, right this minute. If we were to say, stop what you're doing, because um, there's a behind the music opportunity for you to watch six straight hours of um, television about um, rock stars. He would do it. Let's go. Let's pop up video for me. Why are we not doing more pop up videos? Let's do let's blow that out. Hey, that was fun. I forgot about that until you just said it. Mm-hmm. Let's bring that back. Let's do it. Um, so you guys kind of answered this, but like, was there a moment, an age where you were like, gosh, I am super into TV and movies and books, maybe more so than my peers. Or um, I think I am deeply, I got something here. I might actually make a career out of this. Well, for me, it was, I went through high school because my parents were really religious and I had um, had a True Love Waits ring Mm. and I was a self-prescribed Jesus freak in a lovely way, but I had also burned a lot of CDs to honor God. I don't Mm. know. I don't know that he saw that as that, but I did it because that was what my youth group said I should do. And so when I went to college and went away to college in the big city of Atlanta, it was like people in the hall, like everyone in the hall looked different from me, had come from all over the world. And they listened to this like person named Alanis Morissette. And I was like, I'm sorry, who is this? And then on Thursday nights, we would all gather in one dorm room, 20 of us watching Friends and then watching ER. And it just became this obsession. And that is really, and, and so the internet was birthed while I was in college, like in terms of like really Yahoo and you could search for something and there'd be like 13 search results. And I was like searching, like, how can I know more about these actors and what they're doing? And this is so fascinating. So that is when it really became like, I took a class in college. I was a women's studies major and I took a class on like women who murder in film. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I loved it so much. Wow, that's a higher level course for real. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emery, for what you, um, my parents were super pumped about paying that tuition. They're like, I'm sorry, what are you, take accounting, honey. Look at you now, Jamie. Look at you now. That's right. That's right. right. Who's laughing now? How about you not? (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, in high school, like I went to kind of an intense, it was like a, your classic all boys high school. And it was just like homework and sports. So I have this like four year black hole of like pop cultural knowledge and, and all these movies and books and TV shows that I needed to watch. So when I went to college that next year, that was like the first time I had freedom to be like, okay, so like what's going on in the world? Who do I want to be? Like, what do I want to do? So I made the very intentional choice to just like, I'm just going to spend this year like watching movies. So I would just go to like the used bookstore and get books and movies and just be that weirdo who never comes out of his dorm room. But like, but he's watched the talented Mr. Ripley 15 times And he's here to tell you that Matt Damon might be a good actor, you know? So like that was when I was like, okay, I think I really like this in a, in a, in a different way than most people do. Uh, I love that so much. When my um, roommates and I were seniors in college, we too used to, it was messy TV Thursday night, like you mentioned, Jamie. And it started at seven. Was it mad about you? Was that the very first mad about you? Mad about you. And then it was close friends and, um, what else did we there have? There was always a rotation of like shows that didn't, because Seinfeld was in that for a little bit, but then it went off the air. And then there'd be shows like with Leah Thompson or like Brooke uh, Shields in a, hey, in a. Hey, you put some respect on her name. That's Carolina in the City. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that's right. Carolina in the City. That's yes. right. <laughs> and then, of course, ER capped it off. So, <gasps> yes. you know, seven to, to 10 o'clock. And yeah called our moms to figure out we decided to cook ourselves like a, a grown-up person's dinner every Thursday like grown like groans yes so our 
our moms would suffer our Thursday phone calls for like, how do you um, make fried chicken or whatever the thing was? And so um, that is giving me a lot of nostalgia what you're saying right now. Okay, let me ask you um, this. I'm sending this to you, Knox, because you um, just released your very first book kind of about this time in your life. It's called The Wondering Years. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, congratulations. Will you tell my listeners about your book? Um, and please don't forget to tell everybody about your time as a canine evangelist. That's important to include. The first time you got punched in the face. These are just some things I want them to hear. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, this is, it really has, the the book's been like a lifelong dream. So it's a, it's a fun time right now. But basically, in a nutshell, the wondering years, it's about uh, growing up in the church and and being someone who really loved God, but uh, also being someone who had a difficult time, like intersecting with him in the traditional ways. So, you know, I would go to church as a kid and, and I'd see people like loving church and being on board with everything. But for me, I was like, hey, like, does this feel boring to anybody else? Because it's very boring to me right now. And like, or, hey, like, does this Old Testament just feel crazy? Like, is this nuts what's going on in here? Or is that just me? Okay. But like my personality type, I'm just, I'm a very inquisitive person. I have lots of questions about stuff. And the thing that really made an impact on me was, um, it seemed like anytime I asked a question as a kid, like, uh, the question was treated like it was an indication of faithlessness, right? And it wasn't that I was faithless. I was actually like faithful, probably to a fault, as some of the chapters talk about in the book. But like fundamentally, I just really wanted to understand God. So I turned to pop culture, not necessarily to find God, just because pop culture's rad, you know, like I like movies and books and TV shows. And, you know, it was there that God found me and and spoke to my heart in really uh, vivid and profound ways. So the book is about my experience of finding God through the prism of pop culture. And like, that's the headline, you know, like to, that you get to get into the book. But I think hopefully the, the bigger conversation that the book kind of uh, teases out is, you know, if you have questions about God, he's not scared of that. And like, don't feel shame in wanting to better understand why you believe what you believe. And, and two, like, you know, for me, the unconventional prism of understanding God was pop culture. That might not be it for everybody. And, and I'm certainly not saying that, you know, like that was it for me for sure. But for other people, it might be like quilting or knitting or like um, Patrick Swayze. I don't know, like whatever that is, there's something out there. And I think the realization was, like God is never more apparent or powerful than when he shows up in a place you don't expect. Like as a kid, I I grew up thinking that I could only access or understand God, you know, in churches and on Sundays and Wednesdays or in Christian bookstores or Kirk Cameron movies or left behind books. But really, you know, God is God and 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 you can find God and he can he can intersect with you uh, and resonate with you anywhere. That's so great. How did you like the um, writing process? You know, it was... I had so much like I had like 25 years of like wanting to write that I had a lot of heart, but not a lot of good prose uh, at the beginning. So, you know, the first edit was a very humbling experience. I, like I remember opening that first draft and like seeing all the red marks and just closing it and be like, well, maybe that's not real. But like I really enjoyed the editing process because it was that first time of being like, hey, so you said this. Why is this good? And why do you believe it? And there was something really nice about having to like expertly understand why you say everything you say. And I'd never really done that before. So I really like secretly enjoyed that process. So tell us how you two met. Like, how did you meet? What did you guys bond over? And then how did you decide to start making um, a podcast together? You want to start that, Jamie? Yes. So we met on the internet, like all solid business relationships start. We we met in a writing forum where other people like Sean Smucker and Jeff Goins, like people who are writing like legitimate books and like lovely things. And then like I was in there just because I was like, ooh, a fun thing to join. And then Knox was in there and he seemed different. Like he seemed less, he was interested in writing, but not in like, he wasn't the hustler in the group. And, and he would also make pop culture references. And I was like, hello, who is that weirdo? Excellent. And so we ended up because we were both bloggers, we ended up like going on each other's because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to guest post on other people's blogs mm -hmm. to help grow your blog. And then I realized he wrote these really intense, like 7,000 word recaps of The Bachelor, the TV <laughs> show. Sure. And they were so good. And he was a dude and that felt real strange. And I was like, 
oh, I think I like this person. They're so weird. And so that is how we, we really did bond. And he would probably say sadly, I'm guessing, um, (laughs) over watching The Bachelor, both as like entertainment, but as also like, is this a state of our society? What's happened to love? Like what's going on? Right. You'd like hate watch it, which is so fun to do. Like this is so beneath me. And yet I'm going to, I think I have 7,000 words to write about it. So right. That's insanity. Like why would a normal person do that? But like, I think when you want to write, like you will talk yourself into any premise for writing, even though it's completely inexplicable. <laughs> and so that was our first pot. That's what we started in a podcast before we even started the podcast. We were like, let's recap the Bachelor. And it was actually The Bachelorette. Uh, for those who know The Bachelorette, it was Dez's season. And we recapped it. And we had a really good time doing it. And so at the end of that, we just went, could we talk about other stuff? Maybe we could talk about other stuff. Like, And it wasn't like a business plan. There was no strategy. We didn't do all the things that Michael Hyatt would tell us to do about launching mm-hmm. a platform. Um, we just literally just started recording conversations about like Anna Kendrick and Instagram right. and emojis. So how do your, um, sort of your taste in shows and in music and in pop culture in general balance each other out? Uh, you know, uh, the way I like to look at it is I think, um, the differences in our Enneagram are certainly there, but I think just philosophically, I try to see the world like as it is. And I believe that Jamie sees the world as she hopes it to be. (laughs) And that's just like the natural tension for every single episode. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. So what happens is, weirdly, like the things we love, he will love, uh, you know, a lot of things that are hopeful because he's trying to balance out his very kind of dark perspective. And I tend to watch Zero Dark 30 20 times in a row because I'm Mm. like, this is so sad, but it makes me feel things that I don't normally feel sad. This is such an adventure. And so we, we, I argue that he has really great taste in movies where I tend to have probably bad taste in movies um because i think drew barrymore is the best actress of our generation and then i have really good taste in books and he has too many children so he can't read that often that's fair that's fair kind of like this we can't all be good at everything that's right um and of course this is subjective and so i mean i anybody who wants to argue drew barrymore's credentials can fight us Mm. that's right Um, what so podcasting? What when did you guys first start this? When did when, what year was it? So we had both kind of been podcasting. Um, I don't know, half effortedly, maybe a little bit, and then in two thousand thirteen, twenty thirteen, we started uh, the recap of the bachelor. And we used that last episode of that, and we kind of pushed it into uh, the podcast. Probably the worst like brand name for, for a podcast that could have ever been thought of. Um, but probably for the first two years of our show, we didn't take it super seriously, but we had a lot of fun. And then I think maybe Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong in 2015, we're like, Hey, so this takes a lot of time. We need to start making it worth our time. Yes, totally. No, I think, yeah, that was him. He was like, I have all the children and like the them. And I'm like, I just want to be a stay-at-home Jamie. What can mm. we do to make that work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we did. We really kind of hunkered down and made some goals. We did really actually normal, like healthy business things, which like, let's make some goals. If we reach these goals within the next eight months, we'll keep going. If we don't, we'll quit. And we're in agreement. And we and we did. We worked really hard for eight months and really, you know, even though everybody hates the term hustle, we really did hustle. And, uh, and we reached all those goals. And so, uh, and now we do it full time and we do actually have a, like staff and it's, it's the dumbest thing that's ever happened. And we're so grateful. Isn't that awesome? It is. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. When this kind of stuff happens and you guys kind of caught the front edge, I think of podcasts when we all started going, wait a minute, this is the way I wanted my content delivered into my ears. Yes. Um, that was such like excellent timing to start paying attention going, uh, people like this. And we've got a little something here that maybe we should treat like a job. What's your favorite thing about making the show? It's so much fun. but And I think, um, you know, I think our, our brand, we call it like delightful idiocy, charismatic stupidity. I think, <laughs> I, you know, I won't put words in Jamie's mouth. For me, like I love, I've always liked making people laugh. And I think we're we're getting to do something and you know we didn't fo- foresee this but like this the world's getting more and more serious and polarized and to be able to allow people like a safe harbor to just kind of relax 
and not get lectured or not have to like pick sides in like a death feud. Like that's really important to us. You know, and something we've, we've said like a million times is, um, you know, humor, we think humor breaks down walls so that truth can enter. And so like, we like the idea of really doing the work and gaining the equity of people of like, let's make you laugh, let's entertain you. Um, and then if we feel like we have something serious to say or important or like that we want to communicate, we've earned the right to be able to do that because we've supplied you with this other stuff that you enjoyed. Love that. That's a great answer. What yeah. do you think? Katie? So for me, it's the same. I mean, like just the fact that you can give people, cause like, I love a good tr- true crime podcast. I love like news podcasts. And it's always like at the end of the daily, I'm like, Oh no. And so I'm like, how do I go into my day and have hope? And so it's like, not that we're giving you the hope, but we're giving you an hour to go, you know what? I do want to think about like what the best and worst siblings in fiction are. Mm. Like, I do want to think about twins in (laughs) pop culture and I want to think about how ridiculous that is. And so the fact that we get to come up with content that is the, the, dumb. Like we literally have an episode that's about the bill of rights talking about politics, but we, when we get to the second amendment, I'm like the right to bear arms. Can we talk about Disney Prince arms and talk about who has the best? Let's get, let's get focused on the right thing. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. I, um, I say all the time that laughter is underrated and it's not small and it's not nothing and it's not silly. And I think we're in dire need of it. And so there is something like wonderfully therapeutic about putting out entertainment. Like is if that is wrong, I do not want to be right. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Hey guys, Jen breaking into the show with a quick message. So I don't know if you ever feel like you are in the weeds, just keeping track of, what vitamin supplements you're supposed to take and when to take them and messing with all the bottles to get stacked up in your cabinets. I literally have 100. I have found the greatest solution. So care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service. It delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. And all you have to do is go to takecareof.com and take care of's five minute online quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, which helps them figure out exactly what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Um, you guys, I got my first shipment uh, last month and I cannot tell you how thrilled I was to not have to sort through that pile of supplements. Plus your purchase also, you guys, gives back because a portion of every single sale goes toward the Good Plus Foundation which provides expectant mothers in need with prenatal vitamins. Love it. So we think you're going to love this. So Care Of is going to give you, our For the Love podcast listeners, a chance to simplify your supplements. So Care Of is offering 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins. So just visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code For the Love when you check out. Okay, back to our show. So let me ask you this, as I am a fellow pop culture nerd, um, how do you guys think the internet, I mean, this is obviously a broad question, but has changed the way that we consume media and talk about pop culture? Because this is different, looks very different than we would have handled this 20 years ago. Yeah, you know, I think um, the biggest thing is like it gave rise to the industry of analysis and criticism. Cause I, I, I remember being, you know, I remember watching lost and then going online and finding there was, there was these recaps written by this guy at entertainment weekly called his name was doc Jensen. And they were like eight pages of just deep diving into the Easter eggs on lost and all this crazy stuff. And I remember thinking like, you can do this. Like this is nuts, but like it, I think it made everyone, I, th- I mean, honestly, I think it was the first opportunity for, people to kind of speak truth to, um, creative power and, and, and like, we can evaluate your stuff and we're all here talking. And if we talk loud enough, like you'll feel like you have to change stuff. But I think the biggest thing is it gave rise to like self-awareness and meta humor, uh, humor and snark. And like that, cause we, I think we did an episode several years ago and our theory was like, uh, awareness killed the, the romantic comedy. 
because like no one watching a romantic comedy is like this is real life and at a certain point like the the awareness level gets so much that you can't like feasibly create a romantic comedy without putting a spin on it because it's just not like it's just not sustainable like as a narrative you know well and for me i think what the internet did and this was true for me like it created a space where like no, maybe nobody in my group of friends watches the tv show firefly and loves it like i do but there are people on the internet who do or supernatural or doctor who and you can go find your nerd people and so suddenly if you didn't have a family that loved all of you know tv that you loved or if you didn't have you know a dorm room if you were now living on your own and in a new city or it was like oh it's okay like there are people on this hashtag who love this like who love the royal family like i do and i can find them and we can be friends and i think that's such a gift really when we we're enjoying something that is taking our mind off of really hard things in the world it's nice when you can go you understand what i'm talking about it's such a nice thing I mean, that's one of the key ways I feel like I bond with my online community is our shows, mm. our shows and our movies and our books. I mean, we could just, it's a, it's ad nauseum how long we could talk about Friday Night Lights. It's embarrassing <laughs> even. Oh. And the depth of which, like, I would sometimes go to bed and, like, pray for the characters because I was burdened. <laughs> I was burdened with their storyline. You're like, where is Santiago? It's season five and I still haven't heard from Santiago. What happened to him? <laughs> but you well, know, it's your, yeah, Go ahead, Jamie. No, I was just going to say, you go, why is there a murder? Why did they murder somebody? Like, what's happening? Listen, Knox thinks uh, Billy is the better Riggins brother. I don't know how you feel about that. I I love Billy, and I (laughs) love his whole storyline. Now, I'm not saying that um, he necessarily puts me in thought prison like Mm. Tim Riggins. Okay, I get what you're saying. Got it. Yes. Paths of assessment. Um, I do love Billy, his character. So um, back to your earlier point, Knox, about sort of being able to speak truth to creators and content providers and um, producers and all of that. Um, Obviously now, uh, more than ever, we are seeing so many different kinds of characters on the screen, more women, more people of color, differently abled, um, uh, you just name it. Um, we have really well-rounded characters and a lot of new representation in a lot of our shows. Um, and I think people have been talking about this for years. So why do you think that the entertainment powers are, are finally listening? Um, and like, what's your assessment? Um, why representation matters kind of in our, in our pop culture and in our, in our entertainment. So for me, I wish I could tell you that it's like, oh, executives really are enlightened now and they really have changed their hearts. But really what has increased representation in movies and TV is really money. It's just money because Hollywood is not a ministry. It is not a nonprofit. It wants to make a lot of cash. And what's great is there have been some creators that have broken through that have made movies that have made a lot of money. You have a Jordan Peele who makes Get Out. It makes a lot of money. You get Ava DuVernay who makes Selma and it makes a lot of money. And suddenly we go, oh, Shonda Rhimes, she has the number one drama on TV and there's real diversity in this cast. Do you think other people that are not white can make stuff? And it's like, (laughs) yes, look, here's Black Panther. Look how much money it made. And so as much as it's sad that it wasn't just a, you know, we've been doing this wrong. It, yes, let's, I, what I love is that like it, cause it doesn't make sense that there can't be a comedy on TV that's led by an Indian American woman. That's silly. But then what happened was Mindy Kaling had a New York times bestselling book and a best, like a highly trafficked blog. And suddenly it was like, Oh, maybe we can make a TV show. And then she has a very successful TV show on a network. And Unfortunately, it's money, but I'm glad. I'm glad that some creators have really persevered to make great content and that then we have stepped up and said, oh, we want to consume this. Yeah. And it's like, why? I mean, I I just don't see how a reasonable person could be like, no, I only want the perspectives of male um, mid-30s protagonists that are super <laughs> duper hot because that's very relatable to me. Now, I like that perspective. Don't get me wrong. I do like seeing them. <laughs> right. But it's like we literally have like 15 Chris's in Hollywood that are all very attractive. Like can we settle down? We've got, we've got a guy named Army Hammer 
who I don't even really know what he does well. Like if you buy three shirts at Gap, you get an army hammer, but he's still making movies. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe we can feather it out a little bit, spread the wealth a little bit and, and, and hear from, from different perspectives. It's like, why, why wouldn't you want to fill your worldview out a little more and like learn a little bit more about how the world around you actually functions? Well, and I think it's so important because too, like I think about when I was young, I was this overweight. My mom put me in the biggest glasses they sold at Lens Crafters. I got a perm twice in a row in one mm. month. And it wow. was just, a, I was going through a tough season. And what was great was I was like, no one, like Jesse from Saved by the Bell is smart like me, but she is super hot. And so it was not until I met Blossom and saw Blossom and went, oh, there's a girl that's not classically attractive, who's a little weird, but who's smart and funny. And oh, I now can see that like, oh, there are people like me who can be, you know, like seen on TV. And I thought, why? And I'm a white girl in like a privileged perspective. Like why would not everybody want to be able to see themselves represented on screen? It just seems silly that we don't think about that more. That is a great example. Um, What do you guys think? I mean, I'm just asking you to project here, but what do you think the next wave of TV is going to look like? Like, I don't know in any capacity, what kinds of storylines are we going to see or characters or shows? What about networks? Are they ever, are they, are they losing relevancy? Are we going to see those go bye-bye? Like what's your prediction for TV? You know, I think you probably could argue that networks are pretty irrelevant. Like even now, you know, I think there's, they're so stuck in the old school, you know, let's do pilots and pay people lots of money and then never actually make the show. And then like, if you do get made, you have to make 20 episodes, which is just bananas. That's so many episodes of TV. How can you do that? Well, and I, th- I think like, you know, you've got Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, you've got these companies who have tons of money to throw around. They don't have a schedule to abide by. Um, and they give like their creators and their actors a tons of freedom. So it's like, why would you commit to NBC or ABC or CBS long term, you know, for for these um, long periods of time, maybe with less money? So I think like you're going to see a lot more. I think we're in that right now. We're seeing like, you know, Julia Roberts go to Amazon, right? I think you're going to oh, see yeah. bigger actors come to those streaming platforms. But honestly, I think we're due maybe down the road for like a market correction. You will find some uh, uh, um, network be so desperate that they'll go after a, a forward-thinking executive like Jason Blum from Blumhouse uh, Productions, and they'll kind of redefine how network TV is. Because I think maybe kind of dovetailing off that point a little bit, I, you know, I think uh, for cable, like you know, we're all we're buying Netflix, we're buying Amazon, we're buying Hulu, um, and then maybe CBS or whatever. And it's like our TV and our content is in so many different places. Like it takes me forty minutes to find the show I'm trying to watch on the streaming platform. I think we're going to go back to the bundle model, just like we're going to wrap it all together because ultimately we're still paying like 150 bucks for all of our stuff, you know, and I think that'll play into their advantage. Hmm. That's interesting. What do you think, Jenny? Well, for me, like, oh, look, I cut my cord six years ago. And so like, I don't live that Knox life where he's got to like search so long, like my Roku knows where to go. But I, one of the things is it's so much content. So nowadays you can be watching a show and loving a show and other people are like, where is that? I've not even heard of that. Like when we curate on our show and we say, Hey, this is a green light. People are like, what? I didn't even know that existed. And it will be a really great show. And so I think that content's only going to increase now that Facebook is making TV. Apple is going to start making TV. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be so niche and you're going to have that 10 episode limited series and you're just going to hope you find it. So I think it's great for curators of content, like people like you, pop culture Mm -hmm. nerds, like it's going to be a great opportunity for us to kind of say, Hey, we've watched all the weird CBS garbage and here's the one show that rises to the top. And this is what you should watch. That's great. I think it's also going to be um, a really positive development for creators. I mean, I think about, I've got a kid who's a freshman in college and she's interested in film and storytelling and sort of docu work. And, um, you know, this is going to provide a front door for a lot of um, young talent yes. to be able to create things that have so many more options. The the network platform is just so elite and mm. impossible to break into. Yeah. Um, here with all this diversity of uh, possibility, I, I think we're going to see some real up and coming um, content creators too. And that excites me that you don't have to be just a who's who in a very elite world in which we kind of get the same content from the same players. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, 
going to be great. Like, also, I'm saying this because I would like my child to have a job. Yes, so, right? fundamentally, yes. I'm invested in her future than with a paycheck. <laughs> There are shows like High Maintenance um, on HBO and Broad City on Comedy Central. Those all started as web series by their creators who yeah. just put it up on YouTube. And then now they have, they have, they're employing tons of people and they're getting to make their product for millions of viewers. Yeah. yeah. One, of, one of my favorite, it's, I don't know, it's maybe NS, we, we call it NSFKM or JM, like not safe for Knox's mom or Jamie's mom. Okay. Uh, so it's a little NSFKM, but it's called Next Time on Lonnie. And it went on YouTube and this guy did a season and it's basically like a send up of those old uh, MTV, you know, like the Hills or Laguna Beach. Yeah. It'll be very melodramatic and it'll be like, next time on Lonnie. And just the most bonkers, crazy stuff is how like aliens are invading, the apocalypse is happening, and they're just treating it very casually. He did a season of that, and then Ben Stiller watched it, and now he has like a TV deal. Like there's just the democratization of content and the ability to get stuff out there. It's encouraging. Like you, I think it does – you have to be great or like you have to have, um, I don't know, swelling of support for you. But I think th- having the option – like I like the idea that I can bet on myself if I can do a good enough job, you know? So, you guys, let's go back just a little bit because obviously we haven't always been able to get our TV on demand because I'm telling you, it's just a good time to be alive right now. Binge watching makes me glad to be a human person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what would you guys say? What are the shows that came out way before the advent of Netflix or Hulu and everything like that, um, in your opinion, that people should go back into the archives and binge watch? These are like the old timers that were like, this is worth a solid, you know, 39 hours of binge watching. And that's hard. I'm an ADD survivor and it's hard for me to go, sure, watch 130 episodes of The Good Wife. Like it's, it's hard to say that, but like, I do think one of my favorite shows that I feel like never got the attention it needed. And now it's a perfect binge because it's comedy is happy endings. It was Mm. on ABC. It was uh, six stars who all have gone on to other great things, but it was just funny. So So funny. We love it so much. So I think it's a perfect show to go, Hey, every night when we're making dinner or trying to go to sleep, instead of watching the news that's debilitating our spirit, let's be a little less informed for 22 minutes and let's watch an episode of happy endings. That's a great suggestion. I remember thinking that was so well cast and the writing was clever and um, it didn't get good attention. It was a lot like um, Arrested Development that was so outrageously smart and fresh and innovative and new and just did not get the attention it deserved, but did sort of have this resurgence now that everybody could go back and pick up what they missed. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. What do you think, Knox? You know, I, I would say... Because this isn't – I'll cheat a little bit. This is maybe more back in the day of like you couldn't just like stream it. You had to like wait like an animal for the DVDs to come, <laughs> you know, and then binge it like that. Um, uh, I've got two, Party Down. This was a show – I think it only went two seasons, but it was about – it was uh, – I think Rob Thomas directed it. It's he, he did Veronica Mars, but it's about a group of caterers. And every episode, they'd go to a different party to cater it, and you know, hijinks and drama would ensue. But it's Adam Scott, Lizzie Kaplan, Jane Lynch. So it's very, very funny half hour. And then probably my personal, like most underrated, like that missed the binging window, uh, is Justified. It ran on FX. It's Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins. It's like an old school western, but in modern times, and I love it so, so it's very such much. Such a good show. It's so good. Okay, I'm going to make sure these are all linked um, so that we can be insured of wasting a lot of time. A hundred percent. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, holidays are obviously coming up. We have our traditional favorites that we get that we watch in the Hatmaker House, um, like Die Hard, that feel-good Christmas movie mm. um, that we all love. Um, what, what, what are your suggestions for the best TV or movies? For like family gatherings, Christmas stuff, what can we turn on that's going to work with the family in the room and delight all of us? Okay. I get like, listen, I treat this very seriously and I go hard at this question. So I'm going to give you one to watch, two to not watch. Okay. Wow. Wow. Like we, we ride or die here at the McCoy house for the family stone. It's very close to our heart. It's so good. We love it. Like it makes me cry every time and I'm not inherently like a crier. So I love that movie. I love Craig T. Nelson. Um, I think it's okay to watch Elf like the first hour. But guys, like no one talks about the last hour of Elf and it's crazy. It's It falls apart. Like it falls to pieces. So do not feel obligated to watch that. Also, this might be a little spicy, Jen. Like I don't know how you feel about this, but It's a Wonderful Life. That's a terrible movie. That's a garbage movie. 
You don't have to watch that. Be free from that, my children. Do not watch Listen, that. Listen, I look for my holidays. I like a nice Mean Girls. It's an underrated Christmas movie. Nobody thinks of it as that. A hundred percent not a Christmas movie. Um, There's Die literally Hard. a Halloween scene in I that movie. That was <laughs> that movie is so brilliant and fantastic, and there is a great Christmas scene. So I don't know why it's not a Christmas movie. Die Hard set at Christmas, and we take out Hans Gruber. Like, how great is that? I also like Mary Poppins, Captain America. I know you don't think those are Christmas movies, but guess what? The movies you watch at Christmas are whatever you want them to be, and then they become okay. okay. (laughs) Like you just decide what you want a Christmas movie to be, and then it's a Christmas. Right? Christmas is a spectrum, essentially, and whatever, however, we need to apply that to our lives. (laughs) We're you're not the boss of me. I decide what a Christmas movie is. If Zero Dark Thirty is a Christmas movie, I decide. Okay. Wow, you're the captain now. I get it. Wow. Um. I would like to volunteer a real controversial position Yes. Uh, on this question. And this is really, my community is very starkly divided on this. And I made a lot of enemies Uh-oh. Uh, on this. And I'm not sorry. I'm not a bit sorry. And I stand by my, my position, which is I hate the movie Love Actually. Ooh, I love it. I love it. That's spicy. And I love every bit of it. I'm just, you know what? I, I mean, I'm here for hating on that movie. I think it's pressing. I think the characters are ne'er-do-wells, absolute ne'er-do-wells. I think it's sad and it's got a lot of cheaters in it. Mm. And I'm, I say no to it. And so that's just, I said what I said last. Let's, let me ask you this. Um, and I'll each want you to answer this. What do you think is the most underrated TV show on right now? So for me, it is the TV show, the comedy Superstore. And it's on NBC and it's America Ferreira. leads like a really gorgeous cast. It's set in kind of a Costco Target Walmart hybrid, which is a superstore. And it's just all the people you meet. You meet the teenage cashier. You meet the pregnant mom. You meet the dad who is like in a wheelchair. You meet you meet all the different people who are crazy. If you've ever worked retail, you're like, I know all those people. Like, and if you've ever been into Costco, you're like, what's going on here? Like, sure. what's, what's going on in the life of the show? And it's just a really funny, lighthearted, and I, I just don't think it gets enough credit for, and, and what's beautiful is it really is such a diverse cast. It has great writing. You just laugh every time you watch an episode. Uh, so for me, the most underrated TV show, and like this is one, it, it got a lot of love, but like not enough. And I don't think a lot of people watched it, and it definitely didn't get enough award show season love. Uh, it's Killing Eve. This is actually, uh, Jamie recommended this as a green light on our show. I was very um, cautious about this. I didn't trust Jamie, but I started watching it, and immediately it's so good. It stars Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy, and it's kind of like, um, I don't know. She, uh, there's uh, the main character is Eve. She is a, or not, not Eve. There's a serial killer and Eve is trying to track her down and it's just kind of weird and quirky enough, but also like, it's got a great procedural plot to it. That makes it super duper interesting. Okay. So that's, we are at the end. So here's what's going to happen. Okay. Um, and this is really fast. Okay. Here's the first one. What was your favorite TV show when you were a kid? Tip top favorite. So my favorite TV show when I was a kid was Designing Women. And it's because like my I wanted it to be Scooby Doo. My mom wouldn't let us watch it because the only mystery we were allowed to solve was God. It's good and Jesus. So we could not watch um, that. But Designing Women, because look, I watched that show and I was like, oh my gosh, am I Suzanne Sugarbaker? Well, no, I was not. So then I thought, well, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm. I'm maybe I'm Mary Jo Shively. Like, could I? Uh No, I pretty much figured out I was Bernice, which she wasn't Uh even on the show very much, but I'm like little like flighty, but a good time. So uh, I love that show. It just made me want to move to like Atlanta, even though that's, you know, like they were filming in California, but I was like, I'm going to move to Atlanta and live in that two story house. It's so magical. Oh, I love that show. Um, For me, my favorite TV show. So much. Hey, what about you, Knox? Well, I had two. Like the formative years was Saved by the Bell and 90210. And those were like where that did the most for me as a kid. But like when I actually became like someone who thought about stuff, um, it was this probably was probably the Chappelle show. Because I remember specifically the episode when they did the racial draft. Like I was so 
jealous and overjoyed at the brilliance of the episode. Like I had to talk to someone and I couldn't find anyone to talk to. So I called my mom and I tried to explain what I'd just seen and I sounded like a crazy person. But like I just think Dave Chappelle is a genius and that whole show was like transformative for me. Um, I love Dave Chappelle. I think he is absolutely a gem. Um, I love everything he has to say. Okay, here's the next one. If you could pick any actor to portray you in a movie about your life, who would it be? Okay, so I know that people would say to me that it needs to be Melissa McCarthy because we do look a lot alike, and that is a treat. I think she's a great actress. However, this is who I want, and I think we need to step outside of who we look like and just go all in, and I want it to be Emma Stone, particularly from Easy A or from Crazy Stupid Love so that somehow Ryan Gosling does show up in the movie of my life that seems like the right plan for me how about you not so like i feel like this is a bit of a trap question because it's if you could pick any actor per- to portray you like i want to pick brad pitt i don't think i look like brad pitt but i feel like if i do pick brad pitt it'll make people think that i think i look like brad pitt but i clearly do not think that so i'm gonna say like attitude um it's nick from new girl i think his name's jake johnson um but like physicality i look like Really, anybody who uh, the Black Panther beats up in Black Panther movie, like any white guy that Black Panther beats up, that's probably me. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, last question. This this is a twist on our uh, favorite question from Barbara Brown Taylor that we ask in every series. Uh, Do you have a TV show? This does not have to be serious, like legit saving your life. But do you have a TV show that is saving your life right now? What's your biggest green light? You're like, this is keeping me afloat. Well, and there, I watch shows for sure that are like, you watch them for two days and then you're done. And so it's not like an always an ongoing thing. So like, I love Maniac on Netflix and Bodyguard on Netflix uh, because Richard Matten is very hot and that is life-saving. But I would say like the thing that I watch every week when it comes on is Brooklyn Nine. Nine. Oh, so funny. It is the fun. It's the most perfect cast. And Andy Samberg is a national treasure. Sure it is. is just a beautiful way to spend a 30 minutes. It's so good. Oh, that's a great answer. Okay. How about you, Knox? Uh, for me, so I'll take, I'll treat this as two parts. So what's saving my life right now? I just finished catching up on Atlanta. I love Donald Glover. I love what he's doing with Atlanta. It's so weird and bizarre and perfect. And I think he's super creative. Uh, my biggest green light, like right now, I would say Survivor. I, I'm ride or die for Survivor. I've watched all the seasons. This current season is a little slow, but I will always uh, tune in for a Survivor season. Okay, that's perfect. All right, you guys are delightful and hysterical. Jamie, can you just tell everybody really quickly um, where to find you, what they need to look for, all that? Yes. So we can be found at knoxandjamie.com. We have obviously the podcast, which is a show about pop culture that we host every Wednesday. And then we also are in the midst of, we have a second podcast called The Bible Binge, where we recap Bible stories, just like you would recap like The Bachelor or Game of Thrones. Um, And that is in, we have seasons, we have three seasons right now. We just finished a season all about David. And it's very if you're a pop culture fan and a Bible fan, it's like the perfect baby because we we really do kind of walk through the shows of how – I don't know, y'all, but the Bible is full of dope stories. <laughs> and so um, we cast all the characters um, and give them, you know, Hollywood actors so that people kind of imagine them more. So you can also find out all about the Bible binge at knoxandjamie.com. We're the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and we're Podcast Pod on Twitter. Oh my gosh, that is so, so funny. So listen, everybody, I'm going to have all this linked over on the transcript page at jenhatmaker.com. Every single thing that we have mentioned, I will have a link for you, including a link to Knox's new book, The Wondering Years, and all of the funny and wonderful things that you put out into the world. I'm so happy that you both live. I'm so happy that you are entertaining us. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for wrapping up this series on TV be with me here on the for the love podcast you are two dream boats and i'm completely into you uh thank you jen happy watching to all your listeners and to you we love finding pop culture nerds wherever we can yeah thanks so much for having us <laughs> thanks guys well those two are absolutely hilarious i um enjoy them so very much <laughs> so many shenanigans their show is so fun you guys i mean you will positively want to subscribe to it if you don't already. So um, you absolutely become a new fan of the podcast. And I am so thankful that they popped on here to 
help us close out this very fun series on TV. Gosh, this one had some awesome guests, didn't it? I'm like so lucky. I All the time I'm, I pinch myself. I can't believe this is my job. And I get to talk to these amazing people and have you as a listening community because you were the absolute best. So thanks again, you guys, for um, being such great listeners and always sharing these episodes with your friends and your folks on social media. You've brought us so many new listeners and I love it. So if you can think of somebody who would love to hear this episode, just pop it over to them. Um, and with that, that wraps up our For the Love of TV series. And if you missed some episodes, go back and listen, because this one was a real um, fiery, awesome series for sure. Um, and so we've got a whole new series starting next week that you are going to love and it is so good. And I have so many people coming on who are game changers. And so do not miss it. Um, come back in here next week when we start a brand new series and I can't wait to have you guys have a super week. Hey guys, We're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Looking for a treat to serve at the holidays? Nutty Snacks are all-natural snack mixes that are gluten-free and grain-free. Vanilla, cinnamon, chocolate, peanut. There's a nutty snack for every taste. And just for our listeners, get a limited edition For the Love snack mix for free that I picked out just for you with any purchase. So go to nuttysnacks.com and use the code For the Love at checkout. Bear Soaps offers all natural soaps and candles that support women in India with fair wages. Bear has gorgeous gift sets to make giving even more special this holiday season. And just for our listeners, you can get 15% off your purchase with the code GINHATMAKER15. So head over to bear-soaps.com and use the code GINHATMAKER15. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.